So it's my job to just share with you a little bit this evening something of the vision and I thought oh come up with something amazing and great and actually as I've prayed what God has said to me is I just want you to talk about the gospel being really good news. That is the message. That is part of the vision that we have churches that are full of the gospel and full of the Holy Spirit. So I could sit down right now. That really is the message that I feel God's given me this evening. So can we just turn to Colossians chapter 1, if you've got your Bible, or it will come up on the screen, perhaps. No, it won't. But Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 8. I'm just going to read that to you, and, uh, and then we'll get into it. So we always pray for you. Oh, I'm reading the New Living Translation. I've fallen in love with that translation. So it's the New Living Translation. We always pray for you and give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. That's the word cosmos. So this message is going out and affecting the cosmos and it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And you learned about the good news from Epaphras. Our beloved co-worker, he is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He's told us about your love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Okay, so Paul is telling us about this wonderful message of good news. A message of truth. And wonderful grace, it's going out all over the world and it's bearing fruit everywhere. And how do we know it's bearing fruit? Well, Paul says, it's changing lives. That's the fruit. Lives are being changed all over the cosmos. I can't even get my head around what that really means. How did they hear this good news? Well, it was told to them by a Gentile believer called Epaphras a faithful carrier of an unadulterated message of hope, which caused the Colossians to fall in love with one another and to fall in love with all peoples everywhere. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful, wonderful picture of the good news of the gospel of Jesus, this message of Jesus. Is it any wonder that when Isaiah saw this message uh, coming into the world, he cried out, how beautiful are the feet of those who breach good news. Now, I don't know what you think about feet and whether they are particularly beautiful. I mean, take a look at your feet right now. Are your feet beautiful? Do you find your feet beautiful? Well, Isaiah the prophet looks at the feet of the messengers of good news of the gospel of Jesus. And he says, you've got beautiful feet. So why don't you just say that to your feet? You are beautiful feet. You are beautiful feet because you carry the message of the good news of Jesus. Wherever you walk with this beautiful message, the, the gospel resounds throughout the cosmos. 
just let that catch you up for a minute. This message resounds throughout the cosmos. And tonight, that's all I want to do with it. I want to remind you of this message of hope that we are carriers of. Because the gospel really is good news for everyone. Wherever they come from, whatever they've done, and whoever they are. I love the fact that we sang that song by Wren Collective tonight. It's good news for the captive. This is good news for the shamed. There's good news for the one who walked away. There's good news for the doubter. There's good news for the one that religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. And we believe this, don't we? We believe this. We sing it really well. You sang it so well, with so much gusto. And, but I wonder, how well do we communicate this message with the people who need to hear it? How well do we do that with unbelievers, with broken people, with people who are living very different, perhaps even challenging life, life, lifestyles to us? You know, when you meet some people that have really messed up their lives, I mean, be honest. What is it that comes to your mind when you meet some of these situations, when you look around society? Is it, I've got some really good news for them? Or is it, I need to tell them about their sins. They need to get their act together. How much they need to change. So how do we respond to people who are eaten up with the inexplicable ravages of sin that's destroying their lives? And if what we end up thinking is good news, that's wonderful. But it can be such bad news depending on how we communicate it. And I know I've got this wrong over the years. You know, you look at some situations and you say, you've just got to stop this. I mean, what you're doing is crazy. You're really messing up your life. Can't you see the effect on your children? You want to get in there and tell them instead of giving them the good news about Jesus. There's good news, but often we communicate it in a style of bad news. You see, throughout history, the good news part of the gospel has been in danger of being lost. It's been contested. We can even question, is it really such good news? Maybe we need to add a few conditions or additions just to make sure. I need to tell them some bad news about the state that they're in and warn them about the judgment that's to come. Many years ago, I was part of a team doing outreach in the black country on the west side of Birmingham. And uh, we were preaching on the streets, actually a pretty negative message, I now realise. Like most street preachers, it was all about sin and the judgment of God, warning them of the wrath that was to come. And they needed to repent. It was quite dismal, really. And quite honestly, I hated those times. And I usually usually came away feeling quite depressed, which should have been an indication. And then one day we went out after weeks of depressing, no results, a lack of success. And my friend decided to try out a different message. And he slightly frustratedly stood forward with the microphone in his hand and he shouted on the top of Cape Hill and he said, Listen everybody, I've got some really good news to tell you. Who wants to hear some good news? 
I've got some really good news. You have to hear it. And before long, we had a crowd of people standing around us intrigued about this good news. We were able to share the gospel on that occasion and have some incredible opportunities about what Jesus was really like. He loves you. This is why he died. He's got a plan for your life. He's got good things in store for you. I've just got to say that this moment had a profound effect upon me. As I realised, as I saw with my own eyes, the incredible power of good news. The power of a message of hope. A power of a message of hope that we carry. And how much we really need people to hear this. And so I just think we, we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded about the good news message because it can so easily be lost or forgotten. And this was true even around the time of Paul. You know, the Galatians were in danger of preaching a different gospel. That's what it says in chapter 1. They'd become too concerned about what people thought of them, it seems. They'd become intimidated. So they dialed things down a bit in their message. And the same challenge can be seen throughout church history. I'm going to give you a a rapid tour of church history. For, For example, the early church fathers, they talked the gospel message, but they got bogged down with issues. The apologetics of their time, the Trinity, Christology, the canon of scripture and the church, all important things. But distractions to the essential message of come to Jesus with no conditions. Instead, it was come to Jesus, but you better get your theology right or you can't be in the church. And then into the Middle Ages, the challenge was about piety and good works. And there was this fear of the contamination of the world. The gospel equaled sanctification. Salvation was only available to those who obeyed the laws of religion. The church, rules, legalism, that wasn't good news for people. And thankfully the Reformation came at the end of this period and with it the liberating message of justification by faith. And in many ways the gospel message was restored and some even paid for this with their lives. And the latter part of this era was that of Wesley and Whitfield, and many people were saved during this period. The good news was changing lives across the world all over again, and many churches were planted. And then came the Victorian era, which especially on the back of the previous one was for the church one of its greatest opportunities. Christianity pervaded politics state and industry like never before and never since. Missionaries were sent out all over the world. Many churches were started. Buildings were built in our cities. But this was also the age of intellectualism and with this came a huge undermining of faith in the literal truth of the Bible. You can't rely on it. Look at what science says. And many people became cynical and fell away. And then the church became full of tradition. Then we have our own restoration of the church. I did that very quickly. Um, 
the, the restoration of the church movement, the charismatic renewal. We need to get back to the Bible, was the cry. The New Testament models of church, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4 ministries. It's good news. It's all for today. And many people left traditional churches and enjoyed the freedom of the Spirit, planting new churches much like our own. Everything's sorted then. Everything's hunky-dory. It's wonderful. No. We have our own battles. And they're very much the same as they've always been. Fear of what people think of us. Distracted by issues. Legalism. Cynicism. And also maybe some disillusionment. Anybody done church planting and talked about it and heard about it before? Some disillusionment perhaps. Some disappointment. The charismatic movement hasn't lived up to all that we hoped it would be. And over the pandemic especially, there's been a lot of talk about deconstructing the church. And some have just stayed at home altogether. Some have just given up. So what can we learn from our history so that we can keep going forward, pressing into all that God has for us? Well, I think it's this. We've just got to get back to Jesus and the gospel. We've got to get back to the simplicity of this message being really good news. We need churches that are filled with the good news. We need to apply it to ourselves. (laughs) The world needs the church to be full of good news. And the gospel is what is needed to keep us focused on the mission of God to the world and keep us from navel-gazing doom and gloom. Have you heard much of that in the prophetic recently? We need to build churches like this. Pumping with the gospel. We need to be planting churches like this that are full of hope, presenting Jesus to the world. We need to know this message incredibly well if we're going to see people saved. We need to be living it. So let's just take another look at Jesus. I love that prophetic contribution earlier on from Mark. Take a look at Jesus. Look in his eyes. Well, I want to do that and and look at how he communicated this message to the people that encountered him. Just a couple through the book of Matthew. First of all, in chapter 8, we have this man with leprosy. That meant he was ceremonially unclean. It meant that he couldn't come into the temple. It meant that he was kept out of community for fear of contamination. Well, this man, he came right up to Jesus and he knelt down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, it says, reached out his hand and touched the leprous man. He says, I'm willing, be clean. A Roman centurion, an enemy of the Jewish people, an invader, comes to Jesus uninhibited. It's my servant. Please say the words and he'll be healed. Go, Jesus says, it'll be done for you. Chapter 9, a woman with the issue of blood again. A woman excluded from community. She reaches out in a crowd and touches Jesus. He doesn't restrict her. But power goes out of him in response to her faith. He heals her and restores her before her community. Chapter 15, a Canaanite woman. She's not part. She's got no part in the Jewish community. She's an outsider. 
No right to ask for a miracle for her daughter. No right to ask for mercy. Jesus even appears to create a barrier for her. He says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. I love this version, don't you? Yes, it is, Lord, she says. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And the Lord said, wow, your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at the, mo- at the moment. At the moment. And I could have gone on. I could have gone through the whole of the Gospels and found similar stories, similar instances. The woman caught in the very act of adultery. The woman at the well who had multiple husbands. Zacchaeus, the traitorous tax collector. And so on and so on. And I want us to see this. That in every instance where people encounter the Gospel, Jesus who is the living, breathing incarnation of that message, condemns no one. No one is restricted. No one is hindered from coming to Jesus. No one is stopped from making their outrageous request and getting their miracle. Nothing added, only Jesus, to the gospel message. In fact, you know what? Sometimes it seems to be that that is all they get. In some cases, there's no record of a changed life. There's no new behaviour for the sinner. Some lepers return, others go on their way. Jesus, it seems, delights in giving out free samples with no strings attached. Isn't he wonderful? He doesn't keep a record. And so he tells his disciples to model this for us too. Freely you have received. Freely give. Freely you've received. You've received. Your life has been touched. Your life has been changed. You've got beautiful feet. Freely give. So take a look at Jesus. You know, sinners were not repelled by him. They were drawn to him. People pursued him. They sought him out. Broken people cried out for mercy and didn't feel awkward about it. They got it. They got mercy. People who were lost delighted in being found by him. People who were sick were healed. The demonized were liberated. No shame. Come to Jesus. i got to ask, is it the same for me? You know, are people drawn to me like that? Can I honestly say that it is the same for us, unbelievers coming to us, coming to our churches, people we live with, people we work with, people in our communities, our neighbours, are they drawn to us or are they repelled by us? Do they feel accepted by us or do they feel condemned, judged by us? This is a really challenging question. Quite incredibly, Jesus, the most perfect man who ever lived, was the most accepting, loving, grace-filled human being that ever existed because he wasn't afraid of sin. 
He wasn't concerned that we would contaminate him. He, he was unshockable. He was actually known as the one who ate with tax collectors and sinners. And he seemed to delight in this reputation. Maybe I'm reading between the lines, but that's what it feels like to me. In fact, the only people that were comfortable, uncomfortable around Jesus, the only ones that seemed repelled or condemned were the religious people. The scribes, the Pharisees. The respectable ones who have nice churches that they don't want messed up. Jesus was the message of good news. The word from the beginning, and he still is. And so if you want to know what the gospel looks like, look at him and what he did with the undeserving. If you want to know what the gospel sounds like, listen, what, listen to what he says to the ones that everyone else rejected. Here was his message. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. Because forgiveness comes next. Forgiveness comes next. Forgiveness comes with a revelation of who Jesus is. See, Jesus never says you have to get your life sorted out before you come to me. That's not good news. That's salvation by works. Jesus never says you've got to get your act together before you can be part of my church. That's not good news. That's legalism. He never says when you know enough and you've got it all worked out, go to college, go to university, then you can come. He says, no, come to me as a little child, for such is the kingdom of God. Follow me. Jesus always reveals himself first, and the fruits of repentance follow. It comes out of an encounter because that's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's a gift. Repentance is a gift from God. It's to turn around and live a dramatically different life. So just let me speak into this for a moment as I come in for a, a landing. Repentance is about turning your life around. Yeah, you know this. But let me just go over it again. Because when we think of repentance, we can sometimes fall into the trap of thinking it means being sorry, which makes repentance more of a feeling than an action that needs to be taken. It's like we punish ourselves. In our thoughts and our feelings, we torment ourselves and we beat ourselves up. Anybody, or is this just me? Uh, and, and we can go on at this for quite a while until we feel like we've justified receiving forgiveness for a bit. And then we do it all over again. Okay, it's just me. Okay, I'll just admit it. We wrestle with it. 
And there's no doubt that there are feelings involved in repentance and it's not wrong to be remorseful, except that that's only part of it. Repentance isn't just an emotion, it's a decision. It's a moment of realisation that stops us in our tracks so that we're able to turn away from the path of destruction that we were on and return to God. That's the literal Hebrew meaning of that word. To return to God. Repentance is about returning to a God who paid for us with the life of his own dear son. Because of the cross, he's always ready and willing to take you back. Isn't that wonderful news? Like the father of the prodigal son, we are prodigal. Every one of us, even the unbeliever. I've just had this revelation that we are all prodigal. We've all been paid for, and so we can all return to our father, our heavenly father. We can all come home to our father, every one of us. I, I, sorry, I'm really excited about that idea. How many, we pray for the prodigals because they're the ones that fell away. No, everyone's prodigal. Everyone's chosen their own way. Everyone's eating badly. Oh, if only they would remember the Father's house. Anyway, I've completely lost my place now. That's good news. And that's a message I think we can confidently communicate. Meet Jesus first. (laughs) Meet Jesus first and his kindness will enable you to turn your life around. To go and sin no more. Come to him first because of his death on the cross. To see him first. That's our job in communicating the gospel. It's not to present people with their list of sins. Oh my goodness. Where would we be? That would be very bad news. Hear me, and I'm not saying that We don't talk about sin. But please, not until we presented Jesus. Because otherwise, what hope is there? It's hopeless to talk about sin. Let's meet Jesus first and then have people praise your beautiful feet. We need to build churches around this message. So I've communicated a really simple message tonight. That's what was on my heart. I didn't feel I needed to communicate some great strategy or theological exposition. But I think there's something for us to see again in this liberating message of the gospel and what it means. The gospel is really good news for everyone. We mustn't add to it. We mustn't take anything away from it. We mustn't do anything that makes it harder for people to come to Jesus. We are called to be messengers of hope in our communities. Jesus is the hope of the world and our job is to introduce people to him. Do you know, we, uh, when we were first leading the church, uh, 
in a particular situation, uh, we were told early on that there's this couple. You know, glad you've come because we need you to speak to this couple because they're living in sin. Living in sin. I said, all right, okay. So what do you want me to say? Well, you need to sort them out. I said, why? I said, I tell you what, let's just make sure they know Jesus and then see what Jesus does. And do you know what? They got married. Jesus spoke to them. We need to represent Jesus to the world and to one another. That's our job, to introduce people to him. So I want to finish with one of the verses I started with, and I want to declare it over us and what we're doing together. So if you're up for a declaration over you, can you just stand for a moment? I declare this over us. This same good news that came to you is and will go all over the world. It is and it will bear fruit everywhere by changing lives wherever you go, just as it changed your life the day you first heard it and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Father, we just ask for your anointing for the good news. Would you anoint us again? Forgive us, Lord, if we've made it bad news somehow. Father, have mercy on us. We are just learning. But Father, will you come and give us a fresh revelation of Jesus? I hope that's what you've done today, Lord. Would you give us a fresh revelation of who you are and what you're like and how you speak to even the most sinful people in the world? And Holy Spirit, will you please anoint our beautiful feet for your glory? Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.